Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today, we're talking about when should you get divorced, which is a real common question that I get asked. Uh, when is enough enough and the relationship is just not salvageable versus when should you continue to work on things? And I will get to the meat of that um topic right after I tell you to subscribe. My most recent subscriber episode was on touchless marriages, which is um, pretty common among people with sexless marriages and some people who still have sex but just never ever touch. And it generally causes a lot of dissatisfaction and sadness. And so we discussed that in depth on the most recent subscriber episode. And there must be about 120 other subscriber episodes now that you get if you subscribe. Uh, Ones that are not available if you do not subscribe. All right, so anyway, when should you get divorced? Common question, and I'm I'm assuming that everybody listening, most people listening have kids. If not, you get divorced when you are not happy anymore, and that's kind of a lot simpler than deciding to break up a family. It's not, you know, completely simple. Of course, when you're in it, it feels like a very big deal to get divorced, you know, before having children or without children, but but it, what I'm talking about primarily is applicable to people who would also be breaking up a family and then hurting their children. So you usually need to get to a lot more dissatisfaction when you have children than you do before children in order to get divorced, right? Because quite obviously there there's more skin in the game. Um, so what I usually tell people is you need to work on things um, with, with a couple's counselor so at least you could say that you did that and hopefully you really buy into it. And you need to work on your own shit too. So I obviously am biased being a therapist, but I've seen therapy be very useful. And so I would never tell somebody that they should get divorced without having gone to therapy first. And particularly if you... Um, If you think that your partner is the whole problem, then you probably need to go to therapy even more than the person who can, you know, thinks that they're some of the problem and thinks that they have stuff to work on in therapy. If you think you have nothing to work on in therapy and that the entirety of the marital problems are all your partner, then you should be in therapy more than anybody because there is no situation like that where there is not some sort of dynamic that is not working that is co-created by two people. You know, I mean, unless literally like your partner told you, you know, uh, I've been having an affair for 20 years and, uh, you know, and, and I want out, right? Okay, so, I mean, did you do anything to make them have an affair for 20 years? I mean, I don't know what you did 20 years ago, but that would be a pretty bad fucking situation, right? So in a situation where somebody turns out to have been basically, you know, uh, having a double life, then... I guess you could say you didn't do anything. Of course, everybody has stuff to work on, but and probably you are putting your head in the sand about a lot of shit. But, uh, you know, in, in that kind of situation, maybe you don't have as much to work on. Maybe you just need to get out because the person is like uh, not who you thought. But in the much more normative situation that there is coldness, conflict, um, romantic disillusionment, uh, disparity in love language, disparity um, in, un- in understanding, empathic ruptures on both sides, both people have things to work on. So in the normative sort of situation that I see, both people have stuff to work on. And really, if you work on stuff individually, that's the only time where you could really
really say that you're going to bring your A game to the marriage. So a common situation like is where women don't want to have sex with the guy as much anymore because they feel that he's not as nice to them in various ways. He doesn't engage with chores. He doesn't engage as much as she wants with the kids. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. But, you know, they've never really thought about it from the other perspective. Like, what if he's very upset with you because there's no affection in the marriage and therefore this is making him be his worst self. So thus your behavior is making the person exactly their behavior. In a marriage, this happens all the time. And of course, it's exactly the same the other way when the guy says all the problems are because she's cold and unemotional. But in reality, the guy's doing a plenty of annoying shit that he can work on. You know, and this is exemplified by all of the stuff that I talk about on attachment style, where in this case, uh, the man is the pursuer, the woman is the distancer, but both of them need to work on that. So individual therapy can help you, but couples therapy can help you too. Um, when else, when there's some sort of motivation to stay. So when you have young kids in the house, you're going to, you know, really have a lot more true practical motivation to work on things than when you don't. And I mean, there's some people who've been miserable for decades and they stay together even though they have adult children. And I've been pretty vocal in prior podcasts about that's not a very healthy way to live your life, hoping that adult children are, um, going to basically, make everything better for you and make up for the fact that you're completely dissatisfied at home, you know, in your actual life. Instead, you, you, it, it, this leads to a lot of over dependence on adult children. I have a podcast called don't over invest in your adult kids because many people do, you know? And so if you've been staying together primarily because the adult children will be unhappy that you're leaving, then it leads to really over, uh, over investing in them to a point that's very unhealthy where you become obsessed with them being happy and, and obsessed with them coming back for holidays and obsessed with all this stuff because that's the only reason you're staying together is that they come back for holidays. So if they want to go travel to Europe, you might lose your shit, you know? So anyway, uh, if you have young kids in the house, it's a pretty big motivator. Also, if you have any sort of chemistry at all, that is a sign that maybe you can work on things. If you don't think the person is just really repulsive to you, if there is still any sort, even, like sometimes women, they're like, yeah, he's handsome, but like, I don't particularly want to have sex with him. All right, but at least you still think he's handsome. Like we got something to work with, you know? In the situation where they're like, I feel absolutely zero toward him and he's basically kind of repulsive to me. Not that anybody says that in front of somebody, but if they say it, you know, individually, well, I mean, there's not really going to be much coming back from that. You know, what, women are not like stupid. Like they can discriminate obviously between uh, a lower sex drive and resentment. And fr frequently they think that the lower sex drive is primarily due to resentment when it's also due to hormonal changes. But it, like they can discriminate between like thinking the guy's disgusting looking and they cannot imagine ever being with him sexually again. And the idea that like you know, she just doesn't feel the spark she used to. That situation, you can get back your spark, but you cannot get back like, and I've talked about this, like if you've never been attracted to somebody, that's hard to become attracted to them. And or if, you know, things have changed to the point that you find them completely disgusting. And this goes like both ways. A man who's just completely repulsed by his wife due to weight gain or due to anything really, um, you know, there's not a lot of coming back from that. You know, but if you still think that they're pretty attractive, but like you're just not particularly in the mood to have sex with them, then then you, you have something to work with there. 
What else? When people are more open-minded and uh, they can talk about things and they can admit that they're wrong, and of course therapy can help with this, so it goes back to the first thing I was talking about, open-minded people generally have a lot more success in therapy and in relationship repair because they find it easier to see the other person's perspective. If you and or your partner are very close-minded and rigid, then it's unlikely that you're going to be able to do the work and have the empathy and perspective perspective taking that is necessary to truly repair a marriage on a deep level. Um, and that you can work on that. You can work on growing more open-minded and flexible, and you can definitely work on empathy in both individual and couples counseling. But if, if one or both of you is just like completely close-minded, then that really does not, uh, you know, lead to anything good that I see when I'm working with clients in terms of ability to transform a marriage. If you have similar values, this is also a sign that maybe there's something there to work on that's salvageable. But if you've become extremely different, you know, and a big one is politically, I see that a lot when women become a lot more liberal and the man becomes a lot more conservative. That's a common um, issue that, that I work with in couples counseling, trying to get to a midpoint there that people can empathize with each other's perspectives. But if you perceive that like your your partner is completely unsupportive of or dismissive of your core beliefs and your core values, then uh, frequently that indicates there's not much to work with. So so like we're, we're talking about, like if you want an example, so many people come in and they're like, listen, we just do not click like we used to. We're barely having sex anymore, um, but we really value our family and we have similar values in parenting. We're on the same page with a lot of stuff. It's kind of just like we're friends that have lost a spark. All right, cool. You know, we got a lot to work with there. There's a lot in the plus column. And uh, does every relationship work out that's like that? No, but many do. After counseling, I'm talking about, like from what I see. And then there's the one where they have very volatile fighting and they still have sex. So that's like a common thing. They're still having sex and, uh, you know, where there's uh, smoke, there's fire or whatever. And so they have sex and they fight. So then we can learn to tone down the fighting. That's usually younger people. You know, we can learn to tone down the fighting, look at family of origin. What did you see growing up? Do you even think that a marriage can be calm and loving? Are there trust issues? Yes, on both sides. Can we resolve those and get to a place where you're raising your kids in a calm home? That is something new to, you know, that would be new for you. And that would be very healing for you to see kids who are raised in a calm home because your home was filled with crazy yelling and fighting that you're replicating now. You know, people, we could really deal with that because these people are still attracted to each other despite having zero ability to communicate calmly. But what's on the other hand is the people who don't really have similar values are fairly dismissive of each other's perspectives. On top of that, there's a lack of attraction and they don't have much to to um, try for because the kids are old enough that they're about to leave the house, you know, or within five years type of thing. And so in this situation, you know, people do not feel like friends and they don't feel like lovers and there's not much keeping them together. So in that situation, do these marriages ever transform? Sometimes if with enough motivation or enough introspection, but a lot of times they don't, you know, so if there's nothing 
there's nothing really left on both sides. This is like what I call the divorced in spirit couple, you know, and the not feeling it couple when I did my um, podcast and my posts on the different types of couples you see in counseling. And it's really hard to come back from just complete disconnect and a lack of shared values because then it's kind of why, why are you together? And so if you feel that there is anything, like if you still feel like you would go to your spouse to tell them something funny that happened with the kids, or you would still uh, tell them something good that happened at work, or, you know, you, you at least, you know, would, would, uh, I don't know, want to smile at them if something good happened to them, then you got something. But if you really talk to primarily other people about all the good things that happen, you tell your funny stories to other people, there's no touch, there's really very little um, overlap and shared interests, values, your your emotionality is kind of not directed at each other, but really only at the kids and friends slash family, then then it is harder to see what you could work on. It's not impossible. It's not impossible to turn that around. But of course, this just loneliness and just complete disconnect is really hard to rebound from. So you should be in counseling before you get there, right? So if if you're already struggling with sometimes feeling disconnected and lonely, but it's it's not as bad as this dire situation that I paint, you know, and describe for you right now, then get into counseling now, right? I mean, why wait? Whether it's focused more on the um, on on amplifying the romantic connection or communication or or slowing down the volatility and the the chaotic arguing, it doesn't matter what it's focused on primarily, just you guys need to reconnect and to have a shared goal. Sometimes the shared project of reinvigorating your marriage can be very transformative for couples in and of itself, you know, especially if they're two intelligent people that really like to work on things, you know, then they could really dive deep into self-actualization and really actualization of the couple. Um, but sometimes there's just too much water under the bridge and too much disconnection, and too many empathic ruptures. I've had podcasts about empathic ruptures if you want to go back and refresh yourself with that term. Um, but anyway, so this would be a good one to think about and to introspect about and think, am I really open-minded? Can I truly work on myself? Can I see what I'm bringing to the table? And um, do I still feel some sort of tenderness in some way, even for the person that my spouse used to be? Or is it just all gone? And if it's if it's truly all gone, then I would recommend individual therapy more to decide kind of what you want to do. And are there any blocks, any mental or emotional blocks or resentments that are stopping you from seeing any lingering connection that you could potentially have with your spouse? But in the other situation where, you, where it's definite that there is some attachment between the two of you, but things are just going awry, then I would recommend couples work. You know, because there's something right there to work on. There's motivation, there's either small kids or there's such a shared history or there's mutual respect, shared values, a spark of attraction or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, a, a friendly feel, something. There's something to build on. You know, there's some... There's some there's something that makes you feel that your spouse is better than other people in the world. When things really are bad is when 
the person kind of thinks their spouse is almost like the worst person for them, you know, and they've really gone back and thought, man, I was used to be a totally different person. I had horrible self-esteem. I picked almost the worst possible match. And uh, now I feel completely disconnected. But that's not everybody, you know, that's kind of a, a dire, bleak situation. But that certainly isn't everybody listening. So it's likely that, you know, statistically, that, that that you are not in that dire of a situation. I mean, sexless marriages are only 10% of marriages. So that means 90% of people are having sex more than 10 times a year, um, which is obviously a very low bar, but is, is the definition of sexless marriage. So, so yeah, think about this. And if you're open-minded enough, you could even send it to your spouse and ask them what, what they think about your level of conflict. You know, you could, but I mean, that one, you know, that one you would kind of have to know your audience there. I mean, if, if your spouse and you are the ones who shove who shove your conflict under the rug and don't talk about it, then maybe you should just invite them to come to couples counseling, you know, and, and say, I think that we are growing more disconnected and or are struggling with volatility that we're modeling for our children. And I just want to get out ahead of this, you know, and more people will be open to it than you think, especially if you have found somebody. And of course, remember, we always do have people in my practice, best life, behavioral health in terms of relationship coaches and therapists. Um, and there's me, but not everybody can see me. All right. I will talk to you guys soon. I hope this gave you some food for thought and uh, have a great day, guys.